0: Well, welcome back. This is a Stay Off My Operating Table podcast. Dr. Philip Ovedia is your host. I'm the producer, Jack Heald, and we are joined today by Dr. Virgie Bright-Ellington. Phil, this one's going to be different. It's and I'll, and I'll warn our listeners, we're not directly going to talk about metabolic health, but we're definitely talking about dysfunction. In this case, I think we're going to be talking about the dysfunction of how our medical system goes about getting paid for uh the extraordinarily substandard and terrible work that it does on our behalf.
1: <laughs> okay, my opinion. I'm glad I'm glad you said it not me, although I I unfortunately as much as I'd like to argue the point, I don't think I can. Um but yeah, that's exactly it. You know, and this is something I think we've been delving into, you know, in this conversation because you know ultimately metabolic health and our lack of focus on it um is emblematic of much that is wrong with our healthcare system and you know there are many aspects of our healthcare system that have issues with them and i think the whole uh you know financial uh model i guess you could say around our uh our healthcare system is part of that and uh Dr. Ellington was great, good enough to have, you know have me on her podcast a few months ago to talk about metabolic health, which she is interested in, and we'll we'll t- we'll weave into the conversation a little bit. Uh, but her expertise is really on the you know understanding what's wrong with the healthcare system from a financial standpoint, helping people to negotiate that, and uh, that's what I was so interested in uh, bringing her on to uh, talk about. So, um, you know, before we jump into that, let me give uh, Dr. Ellington a chance to introduce herself to our audience, uh, a little bit of her background and how you got so interested in everything you're doing.
2: Yeah. So I have to tell you the good Dr. Avedia, thank you so much for having me on. And I think about you a lot before we get started, because every time I think of eating something that is processed carbs or any kind of carbs, I think, okay, are you really willing to get the sciatica? Are you you really willing? You taught me, you said, you know what, when I eat any kind of carbs now, I realize I get a flare in my Achilles tendonitis. Wasn't that it? I think it was. So anyway, I think about you a lot. So it was it was awesome having you on. So thanks for having me on and, and joining you again. It's good to see you again. So I am Virgie Bright Ellington. I am the founder of Crush Medical Debt, which helps people who are struggling with medical bills, specifically employees and military veterans. I have a special soft, soft heart spot for. And I my background is, I am a board certified internal medicine physician. And I am a former publicly traded health insurance company executive, which gave me a complete 360-degree view of the United States healthcare system and how it works, or so I thought, until I became a patient and I discovered that my hospital roommate had been deliberately taken advantage of, tricked into signing her family's future away Essentially, their financial future forever, putting them into debt forever. And really, I swear the curtain dropped. I saw red because I was enraged because I knew that she, from what she was describing, she was describing something called balance billing. And we'll talk, we can talk about that later, and which is she owed none of the money. And I thought, you know what, Virgie, don't get angry, don't get mad, get to getting do something. And that's how Crushed Medical Debt was born.
1: Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, a great uh, origin story, which we love. We love origin stories here. Uh, and, you know, I think what, um, you know, to to get into it a little bit more, uh, what I love so much about that is that you, as a physician, um, decided to do something about it. Uh, And, you know, what I oftentimes see amongst our colleagues uh, is, you know, we we complain about a lot of the problems in the medical system. We recognize the problems in the medical system, but we're not willing to take the the lead and do something about it. And we've really kind of turned over control of the medical system to others, to non-physicians. Well, and you know, I think, Bill,
2: I'm going to have to push back on that a little bit. In our defense, the physician's defense, because people think we really need one, <laughs> It is we lost control of the business of healthcare decades ago. It's yeah. been out of our hands for decades. Prior to you and I getting into med school, you know, before they say, as, you know, as they say, before we were gleaming our daddy's eye, it was lost before then. So we those of us who are aware, let me back up. Most of us, meaning practicing physicians are not aware of what's going on, what's going on at the back office. And when we find out we're enraged, but most of us don't understand that there's something that we can do about it. So I just wanted to just plug that. Don't yeah. take, we're not going to take responsibility for the, the problems in this system, the inherent problems in this system. It's not our fault.
1: Well, no, let's... yeah, I, I I agree. It's not it, you know it predates most of us, uh, but you know I do think that it is time that we as physicians start advocating more for our patients and That's be right. willing to uh, make changes and, and fight the system.
0: Well, as That's somebody right. who is not on the inside of the medical uh, community, I would love to hear you describe for the physicians who are unaware of what's going on in the back office. A minority are a majority aren't. And um, those of us who aren't medical professionals will just sit and listen as you enlighten your, uh, your fellow physicians about what's really going on. And then from there, we'll, we'll uh, we'll go from problem to solution, I think.
2: So there's, there's multiple layers that's kind of stacked on and kind of increased the problem exponentially. I would say the problem really exploded with the advent of the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, what some people call Obamacare and some people call the federal marketplace, but the ACA. And what happened is, is that in an attempt to reform health care for folks in the United States the thought was well the insurance companies are taking advantage of patients they thought they were kind of on the right track and they thought okay let's look at the insurance companies and they said you know what insurance companies you can no longer require a pre-existing condition to be an exclusion you can it is no longer legal for you to have a pre-existing condition as an exclusion to individual insurance. And so the thing is, is that the, essentially Obama was a centrist and he was always trying to figure out how to get folks to work together and come in the middle. So if he's going to say, look, we're going to make this a law and understanding that the U.S. publicly traded healthcare system, or should say healthcare insurance companies are responsible they are the engine on which the US healthcare system runs that we're going to have to bring them to the table to write the law and that's what happened the insurance companies help write the law so all of these you know back and forth and shenanigans that some folks are doing to wipe it out it ain't going to happen because the <laughs> the insurance companies help write it so think of it it's going to be in their interest so if you're gonna so, get so just just to put it in
0: just to put it in language for those of us who don't have advanced degrees, we had the wolf pack helping to craft the law about how wolves behave inside the chicken house. Is that right? Yes,
2: sir, you got it.
0: Okay, so wolves, just wanted to make wolves sure I was watching clear. the
2: chicken house. Yes, sir, you got it. <laughs> I always say speak English, tell me to, to speak English, and and I'll I got it. So yeah, so. They are going to figure out, okay, well, if we can't exclude pre-existing conditions, so we got to figure out how to make our money. Now, let's go back to publicly traded companies by law, by federal law. Their number one responsibility is to return profit to their shareholders. If they do anything that is less than returning profit to their shareholders year after year after year, actually doing something that is illegal. And so then, you know, came the advent of the B corporations where, okay, yeah, profit, but it doesn't have to be your number one law to do. But I don't know any U.S. publicly traded insurance companies that are B corporations. I'm just going to put it out there like that. But so we have these publicly traded companies and by law, they have to return a profit to their shareholders. So if they're saying hey look your risk management you know th- these are actuarial companies these are they their business is risk so they have mathematicians to figure out okay if we can't exclude the expensive folks what are we going to do so that's when the the law was written in such that the there's multiple levels of of I should say of people think it's multiple levels of care quality, but they're called the metals. So bronze, silver, gold, or I think it's platinum. They're not difference in levels of quality. They're difference in levels of monthly premiums and coinsurance. So the point is prior to the ACA, you really didn't see coinsurance a lot with a typical, definitely employer sponsored insurance plan. But now it's it's typical, so they're gonna you know never bet against the house, right? So they're making the law, so they are going to with the cheapest, lowest premiums, monthly premiums, which is the bronze. You have sixty forty co insurance, which means that if the insurance company decides to cover it, you're on the hook. The patient is on the hook for forty percent, and then it goes up and down from there. Platinum says, okay, you have the highest monthly premium, but when you need care, you're only responsible for 10%. So if the average, there's lots of studies that go back and forth for years that say the average American can't come up with four or 500 numbers, vary, four or $500 in an emergency. And the average deductible, every annual deductible, I mean, the clock starts January 1st every year, the average deductible for just individual policies is now $1,200. Well, there you go. You have an accident, you have an issue, you have an, a, a car accident, got forbid, a bike accident, or diagnosed with a serious illness, boom, there you are. You're in debt. The average American, the average person living in this country is in debt, and the insurance companies make sure that they uh, <laughs> that they can return profit to their shareholders. So that's just basically, in a nutshell, the kind of gist of what's going on. And it has gotten worse in terms of when private equity got in on the game, I'd say definitely in the last 10 years or so, pretty much after the ACA went in place, uh, was put in place, the private equity folks said, hey, well, there's this thing, if you have insurance and we are out, we have folks staffing facilities emergency rooms, particularly hospitals where you don't have a choice, you can't pick who is in network, your emergency room docs, your trauma surgeons, you're probably your, your cardiac surgeons, cardiothoracic surgeons, your your folks that are reading your x-rays when you break a bone, right, radiologists, anesthesiologists. Well, they say, okay, we're going to hire, these private equity companies said, okay, we're going to hire all of these docs, these are the docs you don't have a choice. And so if they're out of network, oh, well. So they're all out of network. And they said, OK, when you come in, you're going to get a bill and we can charge whatever we want. And the the insurance company would say, well, they're not in network, so we're not paying. And the patient was on the hook. Now, thank goodness, fast forward. January 1, 2022, the No Surprise Act went into place to protect folks from this. There are, again, private equity companies made this their business model. So there is, I would say, in 2022... January 1, 2022, when it went into effect, it's responsible for a couple of uh, private equity companies actually closing. There's one in particular that, uh, sorry, not closing, going bankrupt, uh, that uh, went bankrupt last week, that filed uh, last week. So instead of coming after the patient for the provider, coming after the patient saying, hey, you're so sorry, we're out of network, we don't take any insurance they, instead of coming after the patient and now they have to work it out directly with the insurance company to work out some kind of fair in network rate. So there we go. This is how it started.
1: So to to zoom out a little bit uh, and just so people understand, you know, how kind of medical billing works in general, Um, you know, uh, if a patient comes and sees, you know, uh, you and, you know, let's say you figure out that a reasonable a reasonable amount to get paid for your visit is $100. and so you say okay, whoever comes to see me, you know, $100 is what i need to make to be able to pay my staff and, you know, make, you know, take home my salary and cover my expenses. the way the current system is set up is that in order for you to get that $100, you have to build the patient's insurance company, usually a thousand dollars. And then the insurance company is going to come back and say, well, we're not paying a thousand dollars. We're going to pay you a hundred dollars. And so, you know, the insurance company says we're going to pay a hundred dollars. And then, you know, depending on your insurance, maybe that's going to be covered completely, or maybe the insurance company is going to say, well, we're paying $50 and you, the patient, you know, you're on the hook for $50. And, uh, Talk a little bit, since you have a background in insurance companies, why that came to be. Why can't, you know, you and I, the physician, just send an insurance company a bill for $100 and get paid $100, which is a reasonable cost for our visit?
2: So if you're taking insurance, if we're in a practice that takes insurance, if in a field that takes insurance, there are some... Feels so they can get away with it. They don't take insurance. They're not part of the system, but the rest of us are trapped in the system. And the insurance companies will say, Hey, if you need, you know that your patients are not able to do self pay, cash paying. So you really need to be in network with us. And what that means is being in network, that means that you have access to our often millions of members. Who are, could be part of your patient population, but in exchange for that, we need to have a discount. You have to discount. You know, we, you, we need to have a discounted price of admission to your services, doctor. And so, oh my gosh, okay. Well, it's worth it for me. I'm going to say I charge a hundred dollars for a service, but the insurance company that I am in con- I'm contracting to be in network with to say. You guys pay me, I will accept it in full for your members. The numbers I usually use is $10 and you use, we use the same, actually the same percentage, Dr. Ovidia, 90%, right? So anyway, so a hundred dollars is what I charge and I'll say, you know what? In exchange for having access and being in network, I'll sign a contract with you to have access to your members, huge publicly traded insurance company. I will give you the low, low price of $10 for what I usually charge $100. And they'll say, okay, we'll take it. And you sign a contract and there you go. That's why this system is the way it is. To be able to get paid, keep the lights on, pay our staff. That's what we have to do.
1: And, and, and just to make take insurance. That- yeah, just to make that clear, you know, it, it's not actually that we can go to the insurance company and say, you know, we'll take ten dollars from you. The insurance company comes to us and say, you can take our ten dollars, or you can take nothing and not have, you know, all these patients that live in your area.
2: That's right. Your patients yeah. won't, you know, patients will be able to to see you. You won't get paid anything because they won't be able to afford you at all. So exactly, providers. And I mean, when I say providers, I don't mean physicians. There's a study that came out last year. Now, officially, I think 51% of all physicians are employed now, employed physicians. So when I talk about providers, I'm talking about large hospital or hospitals, hospital systems, medical care systems are usually, and other providers like large physical care or occupational, um, excuse me, not physical care, physical therapy, occupational therapy type practices this is what I mean by providers. So yeah, that, that's the deal. Take it or leave it.
1: Yeah. One of our uh, previous guests, uh, Tro Collasion, you know, was talking about that actually, it turns out that those um, venture, uh, you know, uh, capitalist organizations that that you had mentioned earlier, uh, they've become like the second or third biggest employer of physicians, like on the you know, it's like healthcare systems, then insurance companies, and then these venture guys uh, are uh, employing you know physicians in large amounts uh, to take advantage of all of this stuff within the system. Honestly, uh, and you know, it just it, it always gets me when people talk about how expensive healthcare is, and you know, there's kind of an underlying assumption that it's the doctors that are causing the expense. And exactly in reality, we are a small percentage. I believe we're like physician salaries are like less than five of, percent of the healthcare, you know, ecosystem.
2: Exactly. So
1: yeah, it it's an interesting problem. So, yeah, so um,
2: it wouldn't yeah. be healthcare isn't expensive. It's actually the administrators, the, the administrators, the middle management. That's expensive. The padding, the folks that are taking their cut—that's expensive.
1: Yeah. So, talk a little bit about. Um, I guess I'd like to hear a little bit more about your experience in the various parts of the healthcare system. You're a practitioner, working physician, insurance executive, uh, you know, and now you're helping people to navigate the, you know, financial part of the system. Uh, you've been a patient as well, I know. Talk talk about your experience in all of that, and you know what you've seen uh, as part of that.
2: Yeah, so my journey started when I left full time practice when my sons were born. I wanted to have some flexibility in Babel to work from home and not have to be trapped essentially in an office seeing patients, you know, one after another, it doesn't give you much flexibility. And so I decided some people said some of my colleagues who I love very much said, Oh my gosh, Virgie, you've gone over to the dark side. Just remember one, one of my physician friends, when I told her that I had joined this particular uh, healthcare publicly traded, very large health insurance company, she said, wait, you did what? And I said, yeah, I'm just talking. And and all of a sudden she says, well, remember what it was like to to be a practicing physician. And she slams the phone down. This is back in the day when you could slam a phone. You you can't do that with (laughs) a set, right?
0: Kids, you used to not be able to carry phones in your pockets.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm dating myself, really (laughs) dating myself. So yeah. So I was with this uh, large health insurance company for basically a decade and make a long story short was diagnosed with breast cancer. And it was, the timing was really interesting in that the, I was a rock star. This company thought, oh my gosh, you know, you're doing all these great things with, I, my responsibility was to make sure that hospitals did not overcharge the health insurance company, basically what I called accurate billing. So I would teach our folks, all the clinicians, the nurses and the doctors and the insurance company, what appropriate billing is and coding and that kind of thing. And I would always be very clear, just like we want accurate billing from there. And we, when we, meaning the health insurance company, when we owe it, we pay it. No shenanigans, no, you know, don't, you know, I was always called myself, I say, you know what? I'm not doctor. No, I'm doctor. Maybe, you know, I wasn't, <laughs> my job wasn't in UMUR. it was called, you know, utilization review, uh, reviewer, manage, uh, utilization management. So I wasn't the one that says, no, you can't have any more hospital days. You can't have this service. That wasn't me. I was in appeals where we would say, okay, you know what? if your case, your care was denied by the insurance company, it comes to me or my team, we look at and we'll say, you know what, you're right, this should have been covered. You know, we'll get this taken care of right away. We'll overturn the denial and approve it. Or we'll say, you know what, send us this information and we will cover it. But if you don't have this information, then no, this documentation proof that the patient needed it, no, you can't have it. Or we'll say, you know what? We're never going to cover this. So just, you know, don't waste your time. (laughs) So that's what I did. So that's why I would introduce myself. No, I am not Dr. No, I'm Dr. Maybe. And so my claim to fame in the company was, was teaching the clinicians on appropriate, accurate coding, which is billing, working with CPT codes. And CPT codes are to medical services, what barcodes are to products in a retail store. Every product has its own unique barcode, right? Poland Springs, your favorite water, there's a unique barcode for the 16-ounce size and a unique barcode for the 8-ounce size. You run it through the price scanner, up pops a brief description of the product and what the retailer is charging for it. Same thing with CPT codes. And that's what we use to determine what was appropriate billing and payment okay. So I essentially made a, make a long story short, was asked to work more hours. I had, I had, my mother passed away. I developed depression and I wasn't willing to work 60, 70, 80 hours, weeks, you know, weeks and just wasn't willing. And maybe I wasn't able to, it doesn't matter. I just didn't do it. And they said, you know what, we really need you to go back and, And, you know, do more cases in addition to the other half of the job, which was teaching the whole enterprise to bill accurately and to pay accurately. And I said, you know, no, I'm not doing that because someone very important to me, my kid's nanny, had been diagnosed with a malignancy like the year prior, kidney cancer, renal cell cancer, the year prior. And I realized, you know what? She was working with another family and she probably thinks, you know, out of sight, out of mind, you know, she knew to grab me to ask, run issues past me if she had questions, but I had never, I realized I hadn't had time to just sit and talk with her and check in with her regularly. And then I realized, you know what, wait a minute, I am less than five years out from a breast cancer diagnosis and I am late for my mammogram. I don't have time to get my mammogram. And the curtain dropped, I snapped, something snapped. And I said, no, I'm out, peace out. So the, not even one week after my last day with the company, my last day was a Friday, I'll never forget. The following Thursday, I had my mammogram in the morning and came home and got a call in the morning that my mammogram was abnormal. And I got a call that afternoon from uh, former nanny's daughter who lived out of the, outside of the country and said, Virgie, I can't get back in the country. My mom's been admitted to hospice. Wow. And yeah. And so fast forward, I, for every single day, I got up and I sat next to her in hospice every single day, except when I had to have the biopsy of the abnormal lesion, which I didn't tell her about. I didn't want her to worry about And I just didn't show up for a couple of days. And she died two weeks later on a Wednesday. And the following Wednesday, I had a double mastectomy for a triple negative breast cancer. Now, triple negative is a type of essentially the type of breast cancer that everyone's afraid of is pretty lethal. The problem is triple negative because they can't figure out how to treat it. It's a, t- a description of receptors. And the next morning I woke up post-op and the, the, uh, my breast surgeon said, hey, everything's clear, you're good to go. And I got a call from her that afternoon. And she said, Virgie, I'm so sorry. I got a call from the pathologist who said, you know what, I tried to let it go, but it's really bothering me. You have less than one millimeter of margin around this intraductal breast cancer triple negative cancer you're going to have to go back in so my point is and I tell this story to say i was not not weeks but days from this triple negative cancer breaking through the duct if it had broken through the duct i, I that was in 2019 i wouldn't be here now so my point is that was my journey. That's how I came to say, okay, you know what? Enough's enough. Let's put things in perspective, right? And take care of ourselves. And I need to take care of my kids, mom, right? Put things in perspective. Then, twenty twenty uh, March, uh, three months after the my um, my mastectomy, the triple negative uh, cancer was was uh, removed. The Pandemic hit and I realized, oh, my gosh, I've got to I've got to help my brothers and sisters on the front lines. Right. I'm going to go back in the hospital and work and help folks because I realized, you know what, insurance companies don't need my help. they were asking me to come back. Other companies saying, hey, you know, can you teach us what you did with the other company? Yeah, sure. I can teach you. And then I was like, no, you don't need my help. Insurance companies don't need my help. You know, I I was told that I saved this company that I worked for for 10 years. Every year, I increased their savings by teaching accurate billing by 50%. It went from $50 $50 million in savings every year to $100 million in savings every year. I was like, you know what, they don't need my help. And I thought, you know what, my brothers okay. and sisters, they'll be fine. Yeah, I think they're going to be okay. And so it, it's like, no, you know what, my brothers and sisters in the front lines, this is a holy war, you know, against this virus. Let's do, you know, let's, I got to go back in. And I was talking to my, my one of my physicians said, Virgie, I was telling about my plan to go back in. I'm outside of New York City and I was going to go into one of the major New York City you know, hospitals where they had the trailers as morgues outside of the oh. facilities. You know, this is the height at the very beginning. And my physician said, Um, Virgie, sit your A down. She used the whole word. <laughs> 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 sit just, just just stop. Just cut it out. It's like, okay, 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 fine. And then that's when not too long after that, I've had the experience with going into the hospital and having realizing that my hospital roommate had been taken advantage of. And I was like, you know what? Hospitals, providers don't need my help either. Mm-hmm. The American patient needs my help. The folks living in this country, they have to interact with the healthcare system in this country need my help. Then it's like, but wait, there's more. Once I made that decision, I got a bill From the very hospital that started Crush Medical Debt, that had taken advantage of my hospital roommate with trying to, with balance, they successfully balance billed her, agreed, got her to sign that she would pay any balance bill that they sent her. They sent me a balance bill for almost $90,000. And... (laughs) I was already in the process of writing crush medical debt is actually what your doctor wants you to know to crush medical debt. And I call it crush medical debt for short. But I got this bill and well, I don't call it a bill. I call them statements because they're not real bills because they don't have any CPT codes. If you don't have an itemized CPT code list of all the services you received. It's not a real bill. It's it's what I call a wish list. Oh my Something A a fantasy number that usually in the upper left, upper right hand corner of a statement. And I call that a wishing number because they're wishing and hoping and praying that you'll fall for it. And more than nine times out of 10, we do. So anyway, I get this statement and I'm looking at it and (laughs) there's three lines, guys. Phil and Jack, there was the first line that said, OR services, I had to have emergency surgery. OR, when I was in the hospital for three days, OR services and inpatient care, $351,000. Second line. Three days. (laughs) Well, OR, you know, I also had, had, you know, uh, surgery. So, okay. So the second line said, there was one CPT code. The second line was a CPT code, an 8,000 code, which represents some kind of lab test. And in this case, it was pathology labs. And whenever you have a procedure, something is removed from the body, it has to be sent to pathology to make sure there's like no cancer hiding it or something. So you know, CPT code, eight zada, da, 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 described as pathology services, $44.95. <laughs>
0: oh my God.
2: And then the third line said, Insurance adjustments slash payments, two hundred and sixty one thousand dollars, and at the bottom, the same number that was up at the upper right hand corner is at the bottom right hand corner under patient responsibility, basically ninety thousand dollars, and I'm like, uh, I I really I'm I'm sure that this hospital is a network with my insurance company, and I checked, and of course they are. But I just could not. It was in the guys, it was in the middle of a work day, a weekday, and I was cracking up laughing. I was just, I just had to call someone and just get it off my chest. So I call my best friend and I'm just cracking up. And I tell her the story and I said, Look, I don't owe this money because it's a balance bill. And she said, You know what, Virgie? You're the only person I know who's laughing. When everybody else would be curled up in a ball crying. And so I said, you know what? I'm not gonna throw away this bill. I'm gonna make a copy of it it. and put it in the book. (laughs) It made it into the book. (laughs) So that's how I got here. That was my journey.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, what are some of the, uh, so I guess, you know, how do people recognize that, uh, you know, they've been balanced, Bill? and, And what should people do? If they are in that situation.
2: So the big thing I teach people is the three steps of the only right way to pay a medical bill. There's only one right way to pay a medical bill and it involves three steps. And the first step is what I've been talking about over and over again in our time together, guys, which is you got to get a real bill. If it doesn't have CPT codes, it's not a real bill. Now, if insurance companies won't pay a piece of paper that doesn't have CPT codes on it, they're like, what? I don't know. We don't know what this is, but you haven't sent us a claim. A claim is a fancy name for a bill that goes to from the provider to the insurance company. They all have CPT codes. Well, if insurance companies don't understand a language other than CPT codes, well, why would we, Right. The reason why, guys, as you know, is because it works. 99.9% of the time it works. So step one, when you get something in the mail that says, oh, you owe us, (laughs) and there's no CPT codes. And across the top, you'll see something like the rare chance you'll see a a real bill, first bill that has CPT codes. is usually at the top, and it's five digits, and there'll be a date of service and then a five-digit code. Okay. That's a, that's a a real bill with CPT codes. First step, you're going to get, you're going to call the number underneath that magic wishing number in the upper right hand corner. They usually say, Hey, questions about your bill? Call this number, call billing or patient accounts. Yeah. I have a question. Where can I get who is going to send me my real bill with I call it quote unquote, who Or where can I get, quote, something with CPT codes, unquote. You're going to call and ask for that. That's the first step. Second step is once you get the real bill with CPT codes, you're going to plug each of those codes into, you're going to Google it essentially, go into some kind of internet search and say, okay, what is the description of this? What pops up? You're doing a price scanner of your medical service. just like a barcode. So what pops up? You're looking for a brief description of the service just to make sure you haven't been double billed, which happens a lot. Unfortunately, duplicate billing and to make sure you haven't been upcharged that what you received, the services that you received or what your doc or surgeon told you you received sounds like what they're billing, what is being billed to you. Okay. And then while you're there in step two and you're you're doing an internet search for the CPT code, also check to see what Medicare pays for each CPT code. And that's the key. People will hear me say, you know, check and see what Medicare charter pays for each CPT code in the United States. And people will often react and say, well, Medicare, well, that's that's for old people. That has nothing to do with me. I'm like, okay, so Medicare is health insurance by the government, federal government health insurance. And sure, yes, it's for folks over the age of 50, uh, 65 who don't have insurance through an employer, but it's also for folks who are are much younger who have chronic illnesses or certain disabilities. But the point is, it is the lowest price, most fair retail price for any medical service you can receive in the United States. So once you total up all of the CPT codes for the services that you've received, and making sure they're accurate, meaning they're not being yeah they've been haven't been billed twice, that kind of thing, or haven't been upcharged. You know, you had a broken arm, and they told you you had a broken arm in the ER. They put in a sling and said, "Oh, you can go to your you know orthopedic surgeon closer to your home," and then you get a CPT code that describes a humeral fracture intervention. Well, no, that's not putting it in a sling. That's an upcharge. So that's what you're going to do in step two. Step three, you're going to total up all of the Medicare prices or rates or payments or CPT codes that you received. And you're going to call back the billing department and you're going to say, hey, yeah, you know that $10,000 bill I got for that emergency surgery? Yeah, um," in quote in my case, I am willing and able to pay $3,000 because that's your total that you came up with. Quote, who can I speak with who can help me make an interest-free payment plan? Unquote. And I always teach folks, no closed-ended questions. Don't say, can I speak to someone who can help mm. me? Uh, no. That's easy for them to say a no and get you off the phone. No, you're going to ask, who can help me? I'm just going to keep asking, okay, well, yeah, I can't. No, I, I, I'm not able to. This is what I'm able to do. Who can I speak with who can help me? And there you go. Those are the three steps. Now, the understanding of when you've been balanced billed, if you have insurance, when you get your EOB, Explanation of Benefits, from your insurance company from care that you received that's another way that's a quick and dirty way that i often just check my medical services i look at the eob to look at the explanation of benefits to see the cpt codes that my insurance company said okay we'll pay this or not that's just a quick and dirty way that you know if i don't have time or i don't have to necessarily call the the provider for a real bill with cpt codes so I look at that and make sure that all of the services that the provider has charged or uh, is billing me for has been covered or not by the in-network health insurance. What has not been covered, that's something that you can work out with the provider. But if the insurance company isn't going to pay for it, uh, I'm not sure that that's something that that I am going to be on the hook for. Usually if it's medically necessary, the insurance company will, will cover it. We'll say, okay, we'll cover this, proportion, this portion. So you're going to look and make sure that the amount paid by the insurance company is under, you see it usually under patient um, insurance paid, make sure that it has a number. And then at the third column, patient responsibility, make sure that that's a zero. If the insurance company or backup, if the provider is in network with the insurance company, that's how you double check and protect yourself against balanced billing.
0: Okay. So just uh, the, to summarize at a super high level, number one, And I've got a a personal example that I can apply this to. I had a medical emergency last August. I was in an ER for about four hours. Uh, I got I don't know eighteen thousand dollars worth of bills to lay in a bed, um, get three scans, and have somebody read it. You know, yay. Um, So this bill is not actually a bill unless it has has CPT codes. So step one is look for the CPT codes. Step two is if they're not there say, call and get an actual bill with CPT codes, review the CPT codes to make sure that what they say they did to you is what they in fact did to you and also what they said they were going to do that you didn't get up didn't get uh, you didn't buy the deluxe package when you really meant to just buy the standard package. And then finally, uh, go online. Uh, find out what Medicare pays for those CPT codes. Sum it up, call the hospital and say, this is what I'll pay. Who can help me work out a payment plan?
2: There you go. And so some people will this say- This may well, be,
0: I got to tell you, when I saw what, you're, what why you were coming on, I thought, well, this may be a really short, boring conversation, and I am loving this. Because it's it feels like a real laser knife through the bullshit that we've all been exposed to. I love it. I absolutely love it. I mean, we could, we could call it, it a day right here.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it's real interesting that, you know, one of our other previous guests has kind of started a, uh, it, it's not insurance, a, it's a medical collective, uh, I guess we'll call it, you know. Uh, where their organization, you know, you kind of pay into the organization and they'll do this on your behalf uh, is one of the things that they're doing in order to reduce the cost of care, you know, for the group as a whole. And then it's a cost sharing arrangement in the group. Uh, But this is one of the very important things that they've integrated, because (laughs) when their members go and get care uh, and get these bills, Uh, you know, their organization will then call the hospital, call the provider, whatever it is, and say, well, you know, this is what's actually reasonable for the care you provided. Uh, Let's work out a deal. And it turns out that most of the time, the providers are going to be happy to do that. You know, Uh, it's just that people don't know that they can do that and should do that. They just think that, you know, well, this is the bill. And then, you know they it becomes debt on them you know they don't they don't pay and most of these organizations are willing to work with people uh you know and and will work out payment plans and things like that like you said
2: every medical bill in the united states is negotiable at the end of the day because of the system the system starts out with negotiation yeah yes, you, got it. <laughs> you
0: got it now i'm i'm trying to figure out i mean we know this is a royally screwed up system. You you could not, if you set out intentionally to make it an absolute nightmare, I don't know that you could have done better, but I'm trying to figure out who benefits here. Because right. it sounds like Excellent it's, question. it sounds like it, it's, such a such a, a tremendous amount of bullshit
2: the us healthcare system benefits from prices going up and it means that the rest of us suffer it's working against all of us. Well, who's and getting the money? The U.S. healthcare system is the insurance companies, the publicly traded insurance companies which run the system. It goes back to my original point of how this got started, how we got here, how we got trapped in the system, and we're not going to be able to break out. It's going to get worse and worse every year. Because again, if the system requires that the, <laughs> that the engine on which it runs makes a profit Every year, from year to year, then it's not going to get better. It, it is what it is. We're trapped in this system.
0: So the so the these publicly traded insurance companies are in fact making money with this absolute abortion of the system.
2: Of course, in
0: spite of how wildly efficient it is,
2: yeah, it is what it is—a yeah. for-profit. system. is a publicly traded system.
0: They so
1: actually. It is, it is. Yeah, they make so much money. That, you know, part one other one other aspect of the. And I don't remember if this was in the original, uh, you know, Affordable Care Act or one of the updates to it is that they had in
0: the annals of of ironically named bills. That was right up there next to the Patriot Act. They had to put a cap
1: on the percent profit that insurance companies could pull out. Basically, they said that, you know, these insurance companies are so profitable that from now on, you know, only uh, I think the number is 20 percent of their revenue can be profit. And so what the insurance companies basically did at that point was just say, OK, we need to get prices raised for everything. So that we'll be bringing in more revenue and we can still keep our 20 percent. Uh, but that 20 percent <laughs> ends up being a bigger profit. Um, I wanted to zero in just, uh, you know, because this is important for people to understand on the balance billing. And you you commented about how laws have been changed around this. And to be honest, I am still confused about what the law actually says. Um, But, you know, if you go to a hospital and this comes up commonly around surgery, so I'll use that example, you know, and let's say you come to the hospital and I'm going to say you need heart surgery and you come see me, Dr. Ovedia, and I say, okay, we're going to do your your heart surgery. And, you know, I'm in network uh, with your insurance company, I, you know usually it's the hospital I work for has worked out this deal. It's not me personal, but you know, you don't have to worry about my bill. That's going to be taken care of by your insurance company, but the anesthesiologist who's putting you to sleep at the hospital. So I can do the surgery oftentimes is a contracted person. They, not they have network. large yeah, national organizations and they're not in network. Um, so in the past, like you said, Uh, they were then allowed, the anesthesiologist would then be allowed to send you a bill and say, I don't take your insurance. This is what you owe me. Uh, That's now been changed. uh, But go into how that now works and what people should be looking out for on that front.
2: Yes, yeah, so if you go into a hospital emergency setting or like you said this was a scheduled procedure I had with Dr. Avadia and oh great he's a network I checked to make sure he's in network with my insurance he's an in-network provider I'm good I go and I have my surgery and I get a bill from the anesthesiologist services because they are not in network with my insurance I had no choice in choosing this anesthesiologist. And again, these private equity companies hired physicians and practices, right, let me back up, in fields in which you cannot choose them. The anesthesiologists, the folks that read x-rays. Exactly, it was intentional. So they hire all these guys, okay, these folks that are specialties in which you cannot choose them. Trauma surgeons, Oh, okay. So ER staff, ER docs, Okay. So what you're going to do is once you get a bill and you're like, holy crap, How is why do I have this $25,000 bill from the surgery when it was supposed to be covered? Well, the anesthesiologist is not a network. What do I do? In the past, you were on the hook for that $25,000 because prior, meaning prior to January 1, 2022, when the No Surprise Billing Act went into effect you were on the hook for it. It's kind of like, oh yeah, it sucks to be you. It is like, <laughs> right? And that's, and there you go.
0: Oh my so God.
2: Since the, since the the No Surprise Bill Act went into effect, January 1, 2022, that anesthesiologist or the anesthesiologist group has to work out their dispute that payment directly with the in-network provider they are forced to accept or work out what the in network provider um not provider in- apologies insurance company would pay for their services typically and the patient is left out of it the patient is no longer holding the bag they have to work it out the surprise no surprise billing act says that okay out of network physician group, work it out with the patient's insurance directly. You all work work it out amongst yourselves and the patient is out. The patient is no longer financially on the hook and has their financial future devastated.
0: Now our congressmen are going to tout this as a great win for the consumer after they bent us over the barrel. Okay. But, you
1: know, from the physician standpoint, then, uh, you know, doesn't this put us in a situation now where, you know, more and more physicians are going to be forced to accept these insurance contracts? And, and you know, we should say that the reason that doctors are often out of network is because the insurance company has given them an unreasonable offer for their services. You know, they come to me and they say, OK. Doctor or we're going to pay you a hundred bucks to do, you know, cardiac surgery. Of course, I'm going to say no. I'm not taking a hundred bucks to do cardiac surgery. You know, no one can live on that. Uh, but you know, it, it, that is why balance billing came into place in the first place. And this solution would seem to now put it back on the physicians to be like, okay, now I have no choice but to accept the hundred bucks, even though that's unreasonable.
2: So that was the argument and the. And the uh, apologies, the act, the law put in a formula of some sort or range of formulas saying, OK, what's reasonable on average in the area in which the provider is operating, okay. or operates to address that issue? Because, yes, that's a huge issue.
1: OK, so there's a minimum sort of standard that exactly. the insurance company has to live up yeah, you to. You can't
2: just say, hey, you know, take our 10 bucks or leave it. Right. Yeah. Wow. <laughs>
1: So. I'm still like Jack. I'm still suspicious that it will actually end up benefiting the the patients. Uh, but it sounds, uh, you know, it sounds hopeful. Uh, but we see, like you said, you you've told the whole story throughout this conversation about the insurance company always seems to be the one that wins in the end.
2: Never bet against the house. You're dealing with the 800 pound gorilla. And to your earlier point, yeah, we have to band together medical, just basic medical financial literacy so we understand what's going on. We understand how the game is played, so we can arm ourselves and understand, okay, yeah, all right, I'm not gonna bet against the house, but I can do this or I can do that. Or, you know, I think blackjack is the only game you can win that actually has like real <laughs> is is it's not country, you know, there's no yeah. interest in the house. It's really the only thing that's really random. Okay. The point is if you don't have medical financial literacy. You don't have any financial stability, period. We got got to learn this stuff so we can fight against, arm ourselves against the 800-pound gorilla, the publicly traded health insurance companies in this country.
0: Well, I'm going to ask you to tell our audience about your podcast because um, our audience is going to be peripherally related to your audience. There's some overlap there. There's a Venn diagram with a little overlap. Um, and I think our folks would be really interested to sit in and listen to more of of your work. So, where do they find your podcast?
2: So I am on health, wellness, and medical bills on Voice well, America on the Voice America Internet Radio Network. So that's voiceamerica.com every Thursday. 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, and then it gets uploaded to their on-demand system. And then within 72 hours, goes to the library of, you know, where folks find their, like to listen to their podcasts. So iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple, all that good stuff, all the other 30 podcast platforms.
0: Health, wellness, and medical bills. medical
2: bills. (laughs) Yes, sir. That's it.
0: That's a title I would not have guessed. (laughs) Yeah, right. you would
2: think as an oxymoron, right? You would think, okay, those two mutually exclusive events ain't going to happen. You can't have medical bills and have wellness because if you don't have financial wellness, right? Yeah. Well, I'm already the number one cause of debt and stress in the United States, number one cause of debt and bankruptcy. So debt and you stress. Know,
0: is- I, I was thinking as you were talking, Dr. Ovedia um, regularly quotes uh, the statistic that 88% of Americans are metabolically unhealthy. And I was guessing there's probably a um, a corresponding statistic about uh, the percentage of Americans who are financially and emotionally unhealthy directly as a result of this kind of absolute insanity that has been foisted upon us in the name of affordable care. Yes, sir. So I I, I charge I like you to find to say, that find that statistic and share it with your your audience.
2: I can tell you a statistic.
0: Oh, there we the go. The
2: statistic is is that most Americans are just one accident or serious illness away from a lifetime of debt or worse, and that's because eighty to ninety percent of every medical bill generated in the United States have mistakes, and if you can guess. The mistakes are not going to be in the favor of the patient. They're going to be in the favor of the provider and or if they have insurance, the insurance company. And often I talk about on my show that they're not really mistakes because they know what they're doing with balanced billing, that kind of thing. They know what they're doing. It's a mistake if we pay for it. If we don't have basic medical financial literacy and we pay it, that's our mistake. And they're counting us making those mistakes. They're counting us not having basic medical, financial literacy.
0: I think this stands on its own, Phil. This is.
1: I think that's a great place to wrap it. Wow, very powerful stuff. Thank you, Virgie. Uh, if uh, uh, people are interested in uh, you know finding out more about you besides the podcast, anywhere else uh, you want to have them go to.
2: Or you can find me at crushmedicaldebt.com. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. I think I'm Dr. Virgie, D-R-V-I-R-G-I-E.
0: All right. Very good. As always, that information will be in the show notes. Thank you for coming on the show. This you, has been so much great. for having me. I can't Love wait to go back and go through my statement and, and see just what exactly is it they said they did to me in four hours. All right. Well, this is the Stay Off My Operating Table podcast. I invite all our listeners to go to Dr. Ovedia's website, ifixhearts.com, and uh, take the uh, uh, metabolic health quiz. What What's the what's the link there, Phil? Ifixhearts.com slash test, I think. I don't
1: remember. Uh, quiz.
0: Quiz. I it's right remember.
1: on the front page, iFixHearts.com.
0: All right. Well, we drop a new episode every Tuesday at midnight Pacific time. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button and uh, tune in next time. We'll talk to you later. Chances are you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you didn't need to change your life and get healthier. So take action right now. Book a call with Dr. Avedia's team. One small step in the right direction is all it takes to get started. Contact us at ifixhearts.com slash talk. That's ifixhearts.com slash talk.